These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The people. And we've, we, we come across this story often when we engage in, in the Hebrew scriptures because it's such a central story. The, the, big, the big stories that come and kind of frame the two uh, major moments, uh, crises in the Hebrew scriptures, the slavery and liberation in Egypt, the exile and return of the people when they've uh, from Babylon. These were traumatic events and events of great rejoicing. And we have them mirrored in a, in a beautiful way in the New Testament in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so much of the themes of, uh, of the exile, so much of the themes of the slavery uh, and their liberation and return are mirrored again in the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. Well, we have to imagine sometimes, we get beneath the poetry and beneath the, the metaphors, and we have to imagine what was it like to be one of those people who had to leave everything they knew, their homes, their land, their church, you know, temple, their habits, their customs, their walks, their particular favorite places, particular favorite activities. And suddenly, in the context of war, after having a, a foreign army come and wreak major destruction on a lot of these places you love, then to have that same foreign army demand that you leave your home and relocate to their capital. Try to imagine what it would be like to be a person in those circumstances. We have the scriptures testified to the range of emotions that came from that experience. And the Psalms, many of the Psalms are written as prayers out of that experience. Um, one of them, which has been made famous through reggae music, is, uh, by the rivers of Babylon, we wept. How could we sing the Lord's song 
in a strange land. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So one of the things that this brings up is this dilemma where suddenly the world has changed all around you. You feel like you're so out of place, out of sorts, where everything around you seems like a different language, because it is, different customs. John Henry, please stop that. Because they are. And sorry. And what you have is you want to go with Grammy? Maybe it's a disorienting moment when you are in the pulpit. And suddenly, how do I sing the Lord's song in this strange predicament? Well, this is something that if you can use your imagination, you can imagine that it's not just something that would happen under these circumstances. It's something that happens when someone you love dies. How can I sing our song without this person I love so much? It happens perhaps when something really drastic happens around you. You lose a job. It's an experience not just in this case of exile. It's an experience of great loss and grief. How do I sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And so the people, the people, they go to their prophets. They go to their their spiritual leaders for help, for advice, for wisdom. And Jeremiah has received this desire for his word. See, the thing is, Jeremiah was not taken with the people into exile. Jeremiah, the prophet who saw this coming who wrote about it, he was one that didn't actually end up being taken as well. So there he is. And we, we have a, a prophet, Jeremiah, who's living in the ruins of the home and place that he loved. And he's being asked by the people that were taken away, what do we do? What do we do? What do you do in the midst of so much loss, in the midst of so much change? What do you do when all the world changes around you and nothing seems right? What do you do? Jeremiah, what do we do? Are we supposed to just keep living out of a suitcase, Jeremiah? Can we expect to come home soon, Jeremiah? What is God trying to tell us in this major, major crisis that we're going through? And so Jeremiah writes this tender pastoral letter. Some of the stuff in Jeremiah is really intense and it talks a lot about the the evil things that powerful people are doing. Here we have a very tender pastoral Jeremiah responding to the cries and concerns of a people whose world has suddenly been disrupted and changed and has become a disoriented people. And maybe to their surprise, probably to their surprise, Jeremiah writes... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles 
whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of the harvest. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Make families. Celebrate your community. Celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. I'm paraphrasing now. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. And the word welfare here, for those of you that are familiar with this term, is a term that's powerful and very common in the Hebrew Scriptures and the prophets especially. The term here is shalom. Seek shalom for the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its shalom you will find your shalom. Now, what are other ways that you know shalom? What's, what's the word shalom mean to, in, your, in your imagination, your mind, your memory? Peace. So some translations probably will say, seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile. This translation helps to dig in a little bit more beyond that. Because shalom is not just the absence of conflict and stress and tension. Shalom is actually the abiding presence of joyful community. Many, many good days all around. (laughs) Shalom. Seek the good days of the people where you are. Gosh, would that mean we'd have to might, we might have to learn a few of their, their, their phrases. Well, this is radical. And that, they don't, you know, this is a troubling passage in some ways because these people, where they're living, these are the people that, that, that killed their friends and family, that destroyed their city and temple, and then brought them like, like prisoners to a whole new place. And those people, those are the ones that we're supposed to seek the welfare of? Can you feel that? Can you feel that anger? But Jeremiah says, here is a higher calling. Jeremiah says, the reality is that even in exile, these are the people that you are intricately connected to. These are the other neighboring threads in the fabric of humanity. These are the people that when you seek their peace... When you continue to bear witness to that love which brought you forth into being and which continues to be that powerful witness of the God who made you, when you show that kind of shalom making, you bring shalom for yourselves and for them. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Build houses. Have birthday parties and invite the people that don't speak your language. Celebrate the life that is in you, that you carry with you wherever you go, and in whatever circumstance life might bring to you. Because that is still, even in exile, 
That is the song that will give you life and flourishing. The song that will not give you life and flourishing is the dissonant one of vengeful resentment, of closing in on yourself and holding on to all of that anger, wrath, which is as understandable a fire as it is destructive when kept in that way. It'll burn you up. Jeremiah says there is a higher calling. You are still, even in this new circumstance, a people of peace, a people of shalom. And into this new place, you still bear witness to that. Because in that shalom, you find shalom. And I thought of this. Gosh, people in my generation going into ministry and churches, we are always asked about, what are we going to do with this problem? What's the problem? What's the problem that you hear about or think about or ask me about? Declining churches. churches. Why don't people come to church anymore? Why don't young people come to church anymore? Why don't families come to church anymore? This is the question of our heartbreak. We had a church in the 50s and the 60s in this country. I've heard. I wasn't alive then. That was full of people and babies and young people and youth groups. Sunday schools and church schools and vacation Bible schools. And the parents were involved. It wasn't just a babysitting hour. We had a church that was active in the community, that was well respected. Pastors were seen on par with principles of the community. We had a church. And something happened. And in the last 50 years, that something that has happened has made a lot of us feel very strange. And sometimes we're full of all the feelings of frustration and anger. And why did the culture change? Why did this happen? Why do people now no longer want to support their local church? Can you feel the anger? Why and how do we sing our song in such a strange land? And what do we do, Jeremiah, Pastor Joel, Pastor Rochelle? What do we do? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all of us exiles, if we can draw a bridge between our small crisis and their huge crisis, and I think we can by analogy, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce or smell the flowers. I saw Linda and Alva at work in the garden out front. This week. Seek the shalom of the city where you are in exile, for in its shalom you will find shalom.
You see, the call for churches is so different than the knee-jerk instinct of churches. Churches, in their instinct, in their knee-jerk, what they think is, oh gosh, people are going away, we need to puff ourselves up and be beautiful and wonderful and attract people to come see our beautiful church. We will rival all the churches on your satellite cable TV stations. Will we? <laughs> I had a, a theologian I really loved who I was talking about this once and he said, if the churches try to compete with TV, TV is going to win. What do we do? Our knee-jerk response is we got to look really good. we got to really look at, I mean, wonderful and, and, and beautify ourselves and, and everyone's going to be compelling. And Oh, if we get a young pastor with a young family, then that's going to bring the children and the families in. That's our knee-jerk. That's our instinct, right? I hear that from other people. I'm not, not, I'm not vaguely referring to Ackworth here. I hear that about a lot of people. My generation going into ministry. The excitement is that we're young. And because we, we fit the young profile, that means that suddenly our young profile is going to bring in other young profiles. Like a Kevin Costner, if you build it, they will come. If you get a young person, young people will come. And in our experience, that's a little bit true, but not a lot of it true. And in a lot of experiences around the, the country, that's not the truth. You see, it's more complicated than changing our image. It's more complicated than just changing how we look and appear and sell ourselves. So another, another, another way we think about this is, oh, we just need to dig in, close the gates, and we need to make sure that we uh, have a perfectly um, conservative budget and make sure that we don't lose any because here we are, everything's changing and declining all around us, so what we need to do is we need to, we need to make sure that we can anchor ourselves in our financial stability going forward because everything's going uh, downhill all around us and we got to be very very careful, very careful now one is, a, one is a response of anxiety in one direction and the other is a response of anxiety in another direction. One's a response of anxiety of, hey, yeah, yeah. oh, and people, people can, can smell that sometimes, right? You know, oh, I'm sneezing kind of insecurity all over you. Um, and now another response is the response of anxiety of fear and, and this real hyper-conserving hyper instinct, closing it up. Uh, only, only the people that we know and trust and it becomes this little social club where uh, we're going to sustain this, but uh, we, we're kind of living in a bunker. Kind of living in a bunker while the world goes crazy all around us. Those are two extreme responses to a similar, to the same problem. And some churches will go back and forth between the two. Now what's the response of faith? Well, the response of faith is a response that doesn't seek to control the future outcome or to somehow make things the way that they once were. Because there is no stepping in the same river twice. 
as the philosopher Heraclitus put it. Sorry, obscure reference. Everything is constant change, which is both terrifying and amazingly exciting because every single moment and every single day is a new day with new possibilities and opportunities, with new people being connected in ways and in circumstances that were never before imagined. And why is that not just terrifying? Well, the reason it's not just terrifying is because the person who's experiencing those changes is still the person who is sustained by the grace of an almighty and ever-loving God. Because the person who is undergoing those changes, the church that is undergoing those changes, is still the church that was born from the love of God, sustained by the love of God, and called to bear witness to that love. And the church will find life, vitality, and freedom only to the extent that we open ourselves up to be channels of that amazing love. If we try to control the Spirit, we will lose the Spirit. Any church that seeks to save its life will lose it, but a church that is willing to give it all up for the sake of the gospel will find their life, their future, and their hope. Build houses and live in them. Celebrate your life. Tell your story. Know who you are and be happy with who you are. You don't need to be like the churches on TV because you're a beautiful community. Because you have love. You have food on the table. A song in your heart. As Rafi put it, all I really need is love in the family. And a God who has been through slavery and liberation, a God who has been through exile and return, a God who has died and rose again, a God whose invincible spirit lives and pulses in communities, even as it does in individuals. And is that God who is with you today and in every disorienting change in your life. And so, seek the shalom of Ackworth. Seek the shalom of East Ackworth, of South Ackworth, of West Ackworth, if it actually exists, of North Ackworth. Gosh, even seek the shalom of Charlestown and Walpole and Alston and Lane, because... In their shalom, you will find your shalom. In their welfare, in their peace, you will find your peace. The church does not need to focus on itself in the time of crisis. The the church needs to focus on God in the time of crisis. The creator God, the healer God, the God who longs for all friend and enemy near and far, to be brought together in healing, reconciliation, and connection. And we live in times where disconnection is so rampant, where loneliness is so awful, and it seems to get worse the greater the possibility for connection becomes. And we find ourselves bogged down in all kinds of destructive 
technologies or addictions or all kinds of circumstances that keep us apart. And churches like Ackworth have the opportunity and the space and the resources to be healing communities, offering up spaces of shalom. Can you feel the hope? Seek the welfare of this place where you feel like an exile. Even if that means you don't see more people in these pews. That's not the point. That's never been the point. The point has always been God loves you and the world that God has made. And God longs for that world to know peace, to know shalom. So sign up right now to be a part of that peacemaking effort here in Ackworth into the decades to come. Because in their shalom is our shalom. Amen.